KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, October 19th, a sit-out protest. We'll have more on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria, Governor Gavin Newsom, and Caltrans officials announced a new outreach program on Monday to help people living in dangerous conditions along state highways. San Diego's Homelessness Strategies and Solutions Department will contract directly with a nonprofit called CityNet that will focus on street-level outreach. The partnership is the first-of-its-kind collaboration in the state to be dedicated to outreach into homeless encampments along state highways. The California Senate's Appropriation Committee released a bill on Monday with more than $34 million in federal funding for transportation-related projects across the state. The largest among them is the Coaster Commuter Rail Corridor Stabilization Project to protect the tracks along the Del Mar Coast in San Diego. The rail line along the Del Mar Bluffs is within feet of the coastline. It sits on delicate cliffs that experience annual erosion and episodic collapses. San Diego Board of Supervisors Chair Nathan Fletcher wants the county to adapt the regional vote center model outlined in the California Voters' Choice Act. He's set to introduce the policy today at the county board meeting. If adopted, it means all San Diegans would receive a vote-by-mail ballot and traditional polling locations would be replaced with regional vote centers. Fletcher says vote centers will be open more days and provide more services to create a more convenient voting experience. If it's approved today, the new policy would go into effect in 2022. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Parents across California didn't send their children to school on Monday as part of a statewide sit-out protest against vaccine mandates in schools. Here in San Diego, protesters gathered at Balboa Park. KPBS's Kitty Alvarado has that story. About 200 parents and their children gathered at Balboa Park to protest vaccine mandates. The protest is part of a statewide grassroots movement organized by moms who spread the word on social media. Thousands showed up to protest outside the state capitol in Sacramento. Kelsey Smith has two children who attend a charter school in El Cajon. She says she had to be a part of this sit-out. Oh, we were immediately in support. And I think it's such a good thing to be able to show our kids that they have rights and to stand up for those rights and if they feel like they're getting taken away. Children seem to be enjoying the day off of school and some even spoke against the mandates at the protest. I don't really like vaccines. Sharon McKeeman, founder of Let Them Breathe, led the rally. We are not anti-anything. We are pro-choice uh, when, it, when it comes to these uh, precautionary measures and restrictions during the COVID uh, 
um, pandemic. At some schools we visited, it was business as usual. Oceanside Unified told KPBS their attendance was up. But traffic seemed lighter than usual at Midland Elementary in Poway. And the superintendent of Mountain Empire Unified said about 30 percent of their students were absent today. San Diego Unified says it saw an attendance drop of less than 1 percent from last week. Student board member Zachary Patterson noted parents have the right to protest. We read all of your emails, we read your concerns, and while you might not directly get a response from us, we are reading through those and we're looking through. I think that's productive. Public comment, always a good way. Uh, a sit-out, I don't think is going to be the most productive way, but every person their own. The San Diego Unified Vaccine Mandate only applies to students age 16 and up. Next week, Patterson plans to introduce a proposal to also require vaccines for students who are 12 and older. And that was KPBS's Kitty Alvarado. Investigations continue into the oil spill off of Southern California's coast earlier this month. The Coast Guard has named a party of interest in connection to the spill. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more. The U.S. Coast Guard says a large container ship was possibly involved in an anchor dragging incident back in January that damaged an underwater pipeline. The vessel's owners and operators, MSC Mediterranean Shipping Company, are named persons of interest in the incident. On Monday, a congressional field hearing was held to discuss the impacts the oil spill has had on businesses and wildlife along the coast. Although the estimated oil spilled is significantly lower than initially reported, California Congressman Mike Levin says communities were severely impacted. Tar balls that are likely caused by the spill have also been found as far south in my district as Oceanside, Carlsbad. And my fish sales at my fish market, once that was released, they dropped drastically down 90 percent. Scott Brennan, who runs a fish market in Newport, says his business, which sells and serves local seafood, has taken a hit. I'm not sure how long this is going to last. I'm not sure how the public's going to respond to it long term, if there's still going to have some fear that the fish is contaminated. Michael Sicardi with the Oiled Wildlife Network says wildlife was also affected. Tonight, we've collected 32 live oiled birds, 67 dead birds, 5 mammals, and 14 fish throughout the region. Sicardi says it could be months until we see the full impacts of the spill. On Tuesday, the Huntington Beach Council is expected to vote on a permanent ban on any new offshore drilling. They're hoping action taken locally will help protect Southern California's coast. And that was KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell. Last winter, a severe COVID-19 surge overwhelmed some California hospitals and led to thousands of deaths. CAP Radio's Sammy Kaola says experts are cautiously optimistic that that won't happen again. Colder weather means more people spending time indoors and traveling and gathering for the holidays. But nearly 68% of Californians are now fully or partially vaccinated. And UC Berkeley epidemiologist Dr. Lee Riley says that could make a difference. The vaccines can blunt the surges from occurring. And so if you compare the different regions of the U.S., for instance, in California, we have a relatively high vaccination coverage and we're seeing the impact of that. Vaccinated people can still spread the virus, so if you're gathering indoors with unvaccinated people, it's best to wear masks and keep your distance. Opening the windows can also help with airflow. 
Experts say the Delta variant is subsiding, but it's possible a new variant could emerge. And that was Cap Radio's Sammy Kaola. The Pentagon requires all troops to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says as the deadline approaches, the Navy is adding more incentives. The Navy requires all active duty troops to be vaccinated for COVID-19 by November 28th. Lieutenant John Barrow is in charge of immunization at the Naval Hospital in San Diego. He says he's not expecting a rush. Full Navy. Uh, Navy-wide is 96% fully vaccinated, 99% with one dose. Um, I can speak to the command here. Uh, we're doing better than the Navy as a whole, uh, and as we should, we're medicine. A steady stream of sailors and civilian staff continue to line up for shots at the Naval Hospital, but the surge came early, right after the vaccines became available. Our average in January was somewhere between seven to 800 a day, okay. um, and then it, it it slowly has decreased to 300, 200, and now we're just about 150 to 200. Barrow says less than 100 people among these 6,000 people who worked at Balboa applied for a medical or religious exemption. The medical staff answered a wide range of questions from sailors. It was a tracking device for the government to track you, um, sterility in male and females. Those are the, the top ones that we had to show that there was no evidence to support any of that. Good to see you guys. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced in August that all troops and Pentagon employees must be vaccinated for COVID-19. The Navy has announced a policy for discharging sailors who don't receive an exemption. The Marines have the same November 28 deadline. They say only 79% of their troops are fully vaccinated, 91% with one dose. And that was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. One of the biggest mysteries of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the phenomenon of long COVID. Months after infection, people with lingering COVID-19 symptoms, known as long haulers, have struggled to regain their health. While patients and doctors alike were initially baffled by these long-term symptoms, much has been learned since they were first recorded in patients earlier in the pandemic. Dr. Lucy Horton is an infectious disease specialist at UCSD who's seen the toll that long COVID can take on the body. She runs a clinic that specializes in post-COVID-19 care. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Here's that interview. Do we know now why some people are afflicted with long COVID as opposed to others? It's really a great question, and I think it's one um, of the biggest challenges that we're facing is we still don't have a great sense of what predisposes some people to developing long COVID. What we do know is that people who tend to have more symptoms during their acute infection tend to go on to develop uh, long COVID, but there's so much left uh, to be learned. What have you been seeing with your patients? I mean, what kinds of treatments work? Really, the treatments that work best are those that target specific symptoms that patients are having. Um, For example, patients who may have developed asthma-like symptoms respond well to asthma medications. Patients who have uh, difficulty with their heart rate and blood pressure, also known as 
uh, autonomic dysfunction, they may respond well to medications specifically targeting that symptom. In general, what we think really uh, works best and what we've seen in our patient cohort is rehabilitation is really kind of the best. Um, That can take the form of pulmonary rehab, physical therapy, even cognitive retraining. Is there any kind of consensus as to what factors lead to long-term COVID symptoms? That is really such a great question, and it's an active area of research right now. The underlying pathophysiology or mechanisms driving long COVID are still unknown, but we do know that People with long COVID tend to have ongoing abnormalities in some of their immune and inflammatory responses, similar to what may be seen in chronic viral infections. Um, We know that there is what we call endothelial dysfunction or disruption of the, the barrier of blood vessels, and that probably Uh, contributes to many of the symptoms as well. But I think the majority of us uh, think that it's probably multifactorial and that there's many different things at play leading to all of these different symptoms. How have your patients emotionally processed having to deal with these symptoms for an extended period of time? It's really challenging. Many of the patients are facing a lot of emotional distress. Many of them have almost PTSD-like symptoms because they've really had a traumatic experience dealing with the chronic illness and the way that it's really impacted their lives. So caring for a patient with long COVID, it's really important to understand kind of their psychosocial stressors and offer them um, that type of therapy and emotional support resources as well. Is there any sense that long-haul COVID symptoms will one day go away? I'm optimistic that the majority of patients will have a meaningful recovery based on what we know of other kind of chronic post-viral syndromes from other types of viruses. But in reality, we just don't know for sure. And we know that some patients have had symptoms now for the better part of a year and a half with not a lot of recovery. And so there probably will be some who continue to have symptoms for the rest of their life. But since this is such a new virus and we've only um, known it for less than two years, it's really hard to say. Do we know what percentage of patients infected with COVID end up suffering from long-term symptoms? It's roughly 10 to 30%. And it tends to be more in patients who actually had milder COVID, who are not hospitalized, who are not in the ICU. Does vaccination lower the chance of long-haul symptoms at all? Really wonderful question. And there's some emerging research that vaccination may help prevent long COVID. There was recently a study published in the Lancet Journal of Infectious Diseases, uh, where they were actually looking at um, how vaccine would prevent uh, breakthrough infections. But what's interesting is um, in monitoring the patient cohort, they tracked them out to a month after their infection. And they did find that those who were fully vaccinated, so had received both doses of the mRNA vaccine, uh, were less likely to still have symptoms after a month. So that's suggestive that the vaccine does, in fact, uh, help prevent development of long COVID. Does it have any role in the treatment of long haul COVID? This is, again, something that um, we're just getting kind of preliminary um, evidence of now. Um, There's some emerging um, studies coming out 
um, showing that um, those who receive vaccination had a higher chance of having complete remission of their symptoms, about almost twice that of those who are unvaccinated. How has our our understanding of how COVID can affect the body long term changed since the beginning of the pandemic? I think we know so much more about the myriad of symptoms. I think um, we're better able to diagnose it, better able to understand who may benefit from specific therapies. Um, We're learning that COVID seems to unmask um, other conditions. And so we're seeing a lot of our patients now being diagnosed with things like asthma or reflux or apnea. So we're able to um, look for and ask the right questions to understand um, the whole range of symptoms that patients are having. Um, And I think we know a lot more too about um, the role that rehab and therapy can play um, in this condition. But honestly, I still think we're at the tip of the iceberg in terms of um, the full knowledge and understanding of long COVID. That was Dr. Lucy Horton, an infectious disease specialist at UCSD, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Coming up, many teenage military dependents are struggling with their mental health. That's according to a survey conducted by teenagers themselves. I really had a hard time moving away. I really struggled with depression and like had to end up going to a therapist and was sort of like, what is all this suffering for? Why am I being so sad? Like, what is the purpose of this? We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. A new survey of more than 2,000 teenage military dependents shows their mental health is suffering. The survey was done by two teenagers who also created a group that aims to address feelings of isolation and depression in military kids. Anne Knigendorf reports for the American Homefront Project. Elena Ashburn is 17 years old and has moved seven times. Along the way, she figured out that music is a huge stress reliever, especially karaoke. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Now Ashburn lives outside Fort Lauderdale, and her army colonel dad is about to retire. All the moving has been really hard, especially after she settled into a high school in Pennsylvania and suddenly had to move to Florida. I really had a hard time moving away. I really struggled with depression and like had to end up going to a therapist and was sort of like, what is all this suffering for? Why am I being so sad? Like, what is the purpose of this? I don't want it to be for nothing. She reached out to another musician friend whose family is deployed to South Korea. The two created Bloom, a military teen support organization. Matthew O. is a 17-year-old percussionist and has moved eight times. 
The survey that Bloom did in coordination with the National Military Family Association showed 42% of military teens reported low mental well-being and 45% reported moderate mental well-being. That leaves only 13% reporting that they're doing well. O oh, says his family's most recent deployment was especially difficult. I moved to Korea two years ago, and that was kind of a dark time for me. And I was constantly wallowing in self-pity because of what I had left behind. But, he says, as a musician, he's quick to make friends and get involved. He's doing much better now. He's also the student body president at his high school on a U.S. installation in South Korea and keeps an eye on other students. If you have students coming in who don't feel welcome, who don't feel like they're being taken care of, you have a very negative environment, and it's very hard to bring people together in that way. Colorado Springs-based family therapist Lisa Collingridge saw exactly that. She got into the field of mental health five years ago after noticing a gap in services for her children, who were military teens themselves. Her family has moved seven times with her husband's military career. It's emotional dysregulation that they don't know how to manage, and they don't have anyone that they're connected with to help them navigate those feelings. She says that instability creates risk factors that can lead to a mental health diagnosis. That's bad for the kids and also the future of the armed forces. 65% of those surveyed said they intend to serve, compared to 14% of their peers in civilian families. If we eliminate those kids because they've gone through mental health problems that were a result of military lifestyle, what type of messages are we sending? The Department of Defense does have some mental health programs for military dependents, but Colleen Ridge says they're not enough. As for what the general population can do... Invite them to participate in the community. We love to say military kids are resilient, and they are. But I don't want them to have to be resilient. I want them to be taken care of. In addition to starting Bloom, Ashburn and O have also written and recorded a song about how it feels to move so often. It's called Uprooted and compares constant deployments to a monster uprooting a tree. And after the tree had been ripped up and hurled, it found itself standing in a strange new world. O and Ashburn use Bloom to create a sense of community through the web and social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram. Ashburn says they're trying to take the stresses and sad parts of military life and help them bloom into something prettier. And that was Ann Knigendorf reporting from Shawnee, Kansas. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.